0: the echo chamber brought to you by the homes reports and produced by the international broadcast specialist marketeers sponsored by the bullet group putting you in tomorrow's conversations today
1: Hello and welcome to The Echo Chamber. I am Diana Marzalek. I'm senior reporter with The Holmes Report. I am here with Terry Sullivan and Alex Conant. Um, Terry and Alex are two longtime Republican strategists who left politics to create firehouse strategies after managing Marco Rubio's campaign in presidential campaign in 2016. So we're here to talk about communications and politics and all those good things. So welcome. Thanks, Thanks. for
0: having us.
2: Thanks for having us. Yeah.
1: I appreciate it. So. My first question is, are you a political consulting firm or do you use political tactics to help more mainstream, wider reaching communications?
2: Yeah. We're, we're definitely uh, a uh, public relations, public affairs firm that uses political style communication skills and tactics to help corporate uh, clients and associations, trade associations. Um, we don't do work for uh, for candidates anymore. Uh, they're wonderful people. Uh, we did it for I did it for 20 years. Alex did it for almost 20 years. We wish them well. Um, but uh, but, you know, we love corporate
1: clients <laughs> <This is just laughs> more. um, a little easier to manage in this. You know what you're dealing with or. Um... You know,
2: they pay invoices and. Crazy. Uh, right. Yeah. And it's you know, and it's it, honestly it's nowadays. Corporations need campaigns run for them, and that's what this is. You know, that's what we we really do is we what we like to call it as targeted persuasion campaigns. We run targeted persuasion campaigns for corporate clients.
1: And targeted targeted persuasion campaigns being what?
0: Well, if you have a problem. Then we will help solve the problem by figuring out who who are we trying to target. Sometimes it's one policymaker. Sometimes it's a group of policymakers. Sometimes it's an entire administration, being it the Trump administration or a governor somewhere, or it's an even broader group than that, say conservatives in Washington D.C. We figure out who the targeted audience is, and then we apply, and then we figure out what motivates those people. We run a strategy to. Uh, to impact them in terms of what they actually care about, so it's different for every different policymaker. We don't have a cookie cutter approach to how we approach public affairs,
2: and it's not just policy. It's it's you know this consumer group, or uh, you know we, we do work for one client we, we can't name, but they uh, uh, they have uh, intense uh, competitive rivalry with another corporation, um, and they're losing top talent to the other corporation, and so we're running a persuasion campaign to target. Uh, their employees to stay with them and to target other employees of the other corporations in that industry to come to them. And so it's it's our tactics work well beyond just the uh, the policy arena.
1: I did a little research on your company before we came here today.
2: <laughs> Uh-oh,
1: <laughs> and now we're in trouble. No, it's all good. It's all good. So I um, want to quote Jim Rutenberg from the New York Times, the media columnist, because he put it better than I can, more sincerely. He said that your firm Firehouse Strategies is based on the premise that Mr. Trump has rewritten the rules of modern communication strategy and candidates and corporations need to take heed. What does that mean?
0: Well, it means the way people communicate and I think even more importantly, receive information has changed so dramatically in the last 10 years that the tactics that worked 10 years ago no longer work today. I worked in the Bush White House. I was a spokesman there during the second term. And during that time, regional media just sort of disappeared. I was a regional spokesman. When I started the job, I worked with about 80 regional reporters based in Washington, D.C. When I left the job, there were about 15 of them left. Now, they're still reporters, but now they're working for trade publications like Politico or, or online publications like Axios. Uh, and let alone you have the rise of the social media since then. And so I think the way people receive and consume information has changed dramatically. That forces communicators, be they in a corporate setting, a nonprofit, or in the political arena, to change how they communicate as well. And I think Donald Trump, to Jim Rutenberg's point, J- Donald Trump has epitomized that better than anybody in the fact that not only does he use social media to communicate effectively, but he but he understands. And I think what we try to relate to our... and, and and convince our clients of is that what's the most important in the new era is authenticity or what we call perceived authenticity. Your, your Your communications are only effective if the people you're communicating to trust the person that is communicating to them and believe that the message they're receiving is authentic.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, how many times have we all heard people say, "Look, I don't necessarily agree with the crazy thing that Donald Trump says, but I just like that he's got the guts to say it." And it's because it seems, you know, who would say crazy crap like that guy says if if the, if he if they didn't think he actually thought it. And so, you know, we actually try to uh, capitalize on that. And now, when when there is greater doubt in institutions, be they government or or financial institutions or you know, the media, there is doubt in institutions by the public. So it's having that authentic touch that is going to carry a message so much further. So sometimes it doesn't matter so much if it's in the New York Times or if it's on a blog, the value that a a consumer of that media uh, places on it is which of their friends post the link on Facebook. And if it's someone they trust and they post the link and they just click on the link, they don't really care where they're going to. It's, oh, well, this friend who I trust, they shared it, so and I assign that value to it. But and- there's still
1: a the question of, I have the question about authenticity, because there's so much noise out there. And we're talking about social media and we're talking about posts and crazy things, regardless of who's saying them. And, you know, slinging out there, fake news, this and that. So... How much is it? Is it the noise, or how much is it really authenticity, or is it people just wanting to believe what someone's saying?
0: Well, I think in the in the corporate PR world, uh, it's I think one example of it is the rise of corporate influencers. You see more and more marketing budgets going away from the traditional paid TV, paid advertising, towards writing a big check to Kim Kardashian for her to put it on her social media feeds. Okay. I think in the public affairs space, the tactics that that, that advocates used to use, be it pass-through calls into Senate offices or emails or, or form letters that you would have people send in. Being on the receiving end of that, having worked for policymakers, I can tell you those tactics are not effective any longer. Same thing with paid digital uh a lot of paid advertising in the public affairs space is simply wasted why because it's not authentic. And so what we tell our clients is rather than necessarily spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a paid campaign that the the that that your targets are going to realize is inauthentic engage us and we will figure out authentic ways to communicate and influence your your targets be they a policymaker or a, a broader group or organization, or or outside of the political arena altogether, as Terry was talking about earlier.
1: But how do you how do you find that authenticity, and then how do you connect that voice? So you're talking about a public office or whatever. I mean, there's limits to what you can have somebody do, correct? I mean, I'm no expert in.
2: Well, public sure. affairs and
1: politics and what's legal and what's not legal. Sure, but
2: But as with most things, it's not always a game of chess. Sometimes it's just checkers. And it's it's really just figuring out, you know, I, the big thing is is figuring out who your audience is. And, and so often that's overlooked. And it's, well, we need to communicate this message to the masses. Well, do you really? I mean, who are we really trying to persuade? And then finding out an authentic message. The, the authentic message may not be, honestly, the the right uh, uh politically correct message or the right reason you think that someone should take your point of view, it's often an emotional message because emotional messages seem more authentic. And then the final step of that is let's find people that seem credible on that issue, be it someone that you have a a personal connection to in really small cases, um, or be it someone, you know, uh, who's credible because of the issue set, having them say, okay, well, if this person, if this group of people thinks this, then it must mean x or y and if it's from a policy standpoint if it's conservative thinks this if you know rush limbaugh thinks this then it must mean this or if this elected official thinks this and so what we see and again is is across the board be it, be it in, in corporate uh, situations uh, in policy situations is that people assign a value to the messenger that they're getting the message from and the least valuable messenger is some corporation with a paid ad?
0: We, we talk about targeted persuasion campaigns, which is what we specialize in. And within that, there's really two two tactics. One is direct persuasion, where it's really peer to peer, where you're finding people that that have either a personal relationship or some sort of personal connection with your target who are making the, delivering the message, or indirect, where it's where you're relying on earned media, where you're you're communicating to your uh, your target, but through the media channels that that person cares about. And recognizing that every different person or, or group of people receive their information from different places now. You're not going to reach your target necessarily by just broadcasting on the major ne- broadcast networks. They might care much more about Breitbart or and Rush Limbaugh if they're a conservative, or maybe NPR and MSNBC if they're a liberal. So I think having the nuance to know who you're trying to target, how they receive their information, who their peers are, and then how to activate those channels.
2: Right. Well, I was just going to say, and regionally too, not just ideologically, but regionally. Sometimes your hometown paper is going to have a lot more credibility than the New York Times. And a lot of times uh, PR agencies overlook this and they think, well, it's just easier to make one call and hit the entire you know, entire country. Well, sometimes, yes, it's easier, but it's more effective and more precise to go, look, we're going to go hit, you know, we're, we're trying to really focus on people in, in, in the Dallas area. Let's hit the Dallas Morning News or, or even smaller demographics, in in smaller uh, media markets and and target on that and it seems it comes across as more authentic than some national story in the New York Times well
1: that I I get because everybody is related to their own community right I mean you're talking about jobs whatever you're talking about it's all about your own community but my question is how do you sort of reconcile and and if I'm misquoting you correct me tapping people or influencers who are perceived as authentic with the reality is, do they have the knowledge, do they have the expertise to speak on a particular subject?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, it is, it, it, sometimes it, it, that's why we call it perceived authenticity, because sometimes they don't have the the uh, level of expertise to speak on a topic, but people assign that value to them. And so it's so much more important what their assigned perceived value is than it is whether they really are experts on an issue. And, you know, it is, is, Kim Kardashian, or, or I guess it was Carly uh, Jenner, the the the, uh, the best taste tester in the world. Well, no, but Pepsi's still gonna you know hire her to drive their message because people think you know what I like her, I identify with her on so many other things. So if she likes this, then then maybe I should like this too, and and so it's it's not all it's look consumers are not the most analytical group of people when they make decisions. I think we all know that, and so part of it is figuring out new ways to play on that emotion, and at a time when everybody's doubting the information there. I mean, we have fake news. We have, you know, crooked politicians. We have, you know, you name it. Universities are a scam. They're trying, you know, everyone's paying money. There's every system we have now is perceived to be broken. So why would you trust it? You don't. You identify people that you can connect with. Even if you connect with them just on social media and they have you and 20 million other followers, you identify with them and they carry more credibility than the most best fact-based, analytical, independent uh, argument you could ever make.
1: But do communicators as an industry, though, have the responsibility to cut through the, to make sure that they are, are that these influencers are able to speak to this, that that they are not just perceived authenticity, but that they are authentic?
2: Uh, no <laughs> okay no yeah. I mean look I, I don't know that I mean I, I, you know i'd like to think we have a pretty strong moral compass and and uh and I'd put ethics as a, as a high priority but look if i'm gonna if you're hiring me to help you sell a product or, or drive a message what does it matter if i'm doing it through you know here's the scientific data on why this is the best reason and here's the, the backup support or if it's Finding someone that you really like and think is is you know credible to say it's it's wonderful. I mean, do do, do I need to say that that Big Macs are the uh, healthiest way, and here's why it's not as unhealthy as you might think? And this, or can I just say, mmm, this tastes great?
1: Well, that's what people eat them for. Right? <laughs> that's Nobody's my point, though. Them but for I mean, their health value, but, right?
2: Right, but you don't you don't need. I guess my point would be, you don't need a a five star chef to tell you that. No. You can have you can have Shaquille O'Neal tell you that.
1: Yes, you sure can. Um, and how do you, coming from um, coming from politics, and you've both worked in party politics, right? I right, mean, you're right. solid Republican, Republican backgrounds. So, how do you bring that experience and that, um, I'm assuming, pref- preference, political leanings right. into a, um, a communications role? I don't know if you take broad base clients. Um, how does that kind yeah, of play I mean, itself? Yeah, look,
0: our, our strategies and tactics are not are not inherently partisan one way mm-hmm. or the other. In fact, they're sort of agnostic when it comes to to politics, and and we've run campaigns where we've tried to influence. Democrats and we've run campaigns where we've tried to influence Republicans but increasingly our, our campaigns are nonpartisan. they're outside of the political sphere altogether to, simply because our tactics while while very new and based on what works in the campaign environment are not inherently political one way or the other and you know we're, we're about to turn three years old. And I think we're very proud that most of our growth in the last year has been well outside of not just outside of Washington D.C., but outside of the the political arena altogether, uh, where we're really focusing on helping corporate corporations, nonprofits, um, and and even individuals with their with their their uh, reputation or. Or even litigation support, where our tactics just work very, very well, to again, where you have a, a, a targeted person that you're trying to persuade and then building a campaign around how do we target that person or group of people.
1: Now, your tactics are somewhat traditional political tactics, correct?
2: Well, I mean, as traditional as, as I mean, Yes, in some ways, but in the other way, how tradition is pol- traditional as politics anymore? Well, that was my. Question, I mean, you know, that I know you're harnessing your experience,
1: <laughs> and that that there are some of these traditional tactics that you have used and and garnered experience and success with over time, and yet two years ago everything.
2: Well, and it, but it didn't necessarily. It, two years ago was an exclamation point mm-hmm. uh, on uh, a trend, and uh, but I don't think it's the end of the trend. I think that part of what makes us unique from a, a broad traditional politics uh, or, or campaign style uh, is that, you know, actually, Alex, the other day, we were meeting with someone and and they asked if we did Crisis communications, and said that they they were a public relations firm, and I don't want to offend anybody who's listening, but but they they didn't do crisis communications, and we're like, what the hell other kind of communications is? <laughs> like it's like, what do you mean? Crisis. Every every communication situation is a crisis. <laughs> like, you, I, how do you people pay you money for non crisis communications? Right. So I mean, we come from a very different background where that is 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 the norm. So when we do, um, so we immediately uh, in every situation bring that campaign approach. with, okay. Here's a problem. How do we fix it? What is the most the, the shortest distance between here and there? And it and we bring a unique approach to everyone instead of saying, "Okay, we're going to run an ad campaign." Sometimes, you know, it, the best thing is a a big message deli- delivered, you know, on paid media. Uh, but often it's it's not. And you know, we were talking about another uh, so a client wanted us to permit a uh, submit for an RFP, and we're like what they asking us to do makes no sense. Like, this is like, it's not going to succeed. We, they put in their objective, but so much of their RFP wasn't going to achieve that. And we're like, well, do we just fill out how we check the boxes on how we can do what, what they want us to? Or do we tell them this is crazy? Here's what you really need to do.
1: Oh, instead of telling, instead right. of giving you their goal, they gave you like their both.
2: execution. Strategy. Yeah. Well, and, and and you see that a lot with with clients who say, look, here's what uh,
0: we... Uh, here's our goal. Here's our yeah. Here's the problem, and here's the tactics we want to use to address it. Well, then whereas, we can do it, right? Well, whereas, <laughs> we're, we're, one and they they look for a firm to employ those tactics, right? right. Whereas, <laughs> who's
2: the best firm to solve the problem the way we
0: want it? Right. And, and we just don't we don't sell tactics. I mean, we're we're a small firm. We don't have, or we're growing quickly, but we you know we don't have an in-house video team. We don't have in-house, right. You know, production teams that 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 a cost a lot of money, but but b put us in a position where we're going out and pitching tactics to people, because that's what we have in house, we pitch strategy. So when we sit down with a potential client, we say, what's the goal? And then we work backwards from that. And for us, it's it's like a, it's like a campaign where you either fail or you succeed. But but you don't, the goal is not to just continue. And so we, we when with our clients every day, we are working towards towards accomplishing or executing a strategy that we believe will lead to success, and all the tactics fall from that strategy. Which, which I believe it, it, we're new to the the corporate PR world, but seems to be different from how a lot of other firms approach things, where they have a bunch of a bucket of tactics that they try to sell to clients.
1: Well, is it more grassroots what you're doing? I, I don't. know. In some ways, yeah. I mean, it, it depends
2: what the definition of grassroots right. is, but but it's it's, it's, it's very much uh, relationship driven, uh, be it be it. Uh, uh, Relationship with reporters that we have that are fresh and that, um, but you know, perfect example is that there was a one of our corporate clients uh, we're targeting through trade publications and, and different things, and it's on an issue set that we're not experts in by any uh, by any sense. And so the first thing we did is we had our team go through and pull every article on that topic that was about that client or the clients in that industry space and pull all the reporters who write on that. And then let's figure out what those reporters bias and angles are. And we have a spreadsheet and a document that's our cheat sheet. And so when we, you know, when, when a story comes along, hey, we want to pitch this story, it's not like we send out a, a press release, because that's absurd. Who sends out press releases anymore? A
1: lot of people. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> Trust me, we find that out. But I mean, th- you don't get a story written. Like, when was the last reporter that really wrote a story off of a press release, unless you work for, like, the weekly publication in Kalamazoo?
1: No, and just, I, I have to say, as a reporter, I am, like, bless you for actually figuring <laughs> out what people do and what they write about, because the, um, the, the abundance of information that sent that means absolutely nothing to particular reporters just dilutes all the rest.
0: I mean we tell people right up front don't hire us to churn out press releases. I mean mm-hmm. there's a lot of firms that do a really good job writing a lot of press releases and hitting send. Right, on they them. Have their place. That's right and there's God bless them but like that's not what we do. I mean we don't hire us to write press releases, don't hire us to call 100 reporters to pitch your your, your product release or whatever you want. Call us if you have an actual problem. Uh, or issue that you need managed, uh, and, and that and that you know how to define success. Call us then, and we will put together a strategy to get you from from here to there. Uh, and the tactics will then be will be driven by the strategy.
1: Terry, you mentioned in that same article um, in the New York Times, and I quote: "It says the solution is always more content, not less."
2: Right. Yeah. We... That
1: makes my head spin a little bit because there's such a barrage of content out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like just throwing more at people. I, not that that's what you do, but, right. but yeah. how much more can well, we Well, it's,
2: it's part of it. It's part of what we do. I mean, look, How when was the last time that leaking out a news story on a Friday afternoon buried it? Oh, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, it just doesn't. Right. Like, there like is an, an huge amount of content out there, but there is a huge desire for that content. I mean, look, media is a business, right. and, and and if there wasn't if there wasn't an audience for it, we wouldn't have all these twenty four hour news networks, you know, and, and people wouldn't be watching this wonderful content all the time. <laughs> right. The uh, so
1: you're not going to sit on the sidelines when everybody else. Well, that's is it, and up. and
2: and so everyone else is creating. So you can't starve the beast. You know, we saw this, and we learned the hard way on the Rubio campaign, is we said. Look, we're not going to talk uh, process because never a presidential campaign never wins when they're talking process. And by that, we meant like where we're at in the polls and here's our strategy and how many people we have here, this. Or, like we're going to talk about important things that voters care about, like policies or this or that. Dear God, how often did Donald Trump just call into Morning Joe and talk about his poll numbers oh, for was, 30 minutes straight? Right. But that and was you know the, what?
1: Un- the great unexpected.
2: Right. But, 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 it, but the point is, is that he, what he taught us is that look stop trying to force feed the the beast the media in this case vegetables give them cotton candy every day if they want it and give them tons of cotton candy as long as they're willing to eat it and sometimes that really is the solution is that if you've got a bad story that comes out don't try to like hide from it try to get 18 good stories out. You're never going to fix the one bad story. Move on. Don't go back to that reporter and argue with them and this and look, let's go get 18 other stories in another place and push it. Or conversely, let's figure out who the opponent is in this case. and Let's just go get 18 bad stories about them. Stop. Our belief is in in modern communications, you either throw spears or you catch spears. Catching them is no fun.
1: Right. And can um Companies, candidates, spokespeople, whomever they are, who are not Donald Trump, though, can they get away with that tactic? Or like to the magnitude? You... Sure.
0: I mean, I think the I think a lot of people take the wrong lesson from Donald Trump, which is that you know you you need to dominate the media every single day. And I don't think that's true. I think the the better lesson from Donald Trump is you need to be authentic a hundred percent of the time. And I think I think frankly that's why Beto O'Rourke is is doing well so far because he's he appears to be. The most authentic candidate or one of the most authentic candidates in the democratic race now. And, and I think the same is true for, for any corporation, any CEO, you have got to come across as, as authentic. And similarly, when you're when you're making when you're communicating, the mediums that you communicate through, your communicators, they need to be authentic as well. Because I think just putting, assuming that a 30-second TV spot or a big paid digital campaign is going to solve your problem because you're getting your message out, that is thinking from 10 years ago and does not work in modern communications. And Donald Trump, who barely spent any money on paid TV, is a great example of that.
1: Um, these are also takeaways, I, I imagine, more and more so for CEOs and other corporate leaders who are sort of... Whether they're being asked to, thrust to, or 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 by choice, kind of rising up in in a more political or social sphere, um, and there's probably people who would prefer not to be doing that. <laughs> I well, imagine. look, I mean. look,
2: every every CEO is now a candidate for office. Every corporation is now a campaign, and and their consumers are now voters who who either vote with their pocketbooks or more often than not vote in in social media in their outrage. And so what we're seeing is we now know the names and the faces of CEOs and they're thrust out there to actually address the issues and put a face on it. I mean, look, Boeing's, you know, is a perfect example of that their CEO was out there on camera, talking to camera, talking about what they're trying to do, trying to respond. Uh, you would not have seen that. Five years ago, ten years ago, you know, you would have seen the 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 PR person out there delivering a statement. If 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 anybody, and they've realized, look, we need to get ahead of this. It's not pull back, don't give out any information. We don't want to go out there because they might beat us up. It's they're going to be writing about us. They're going to be talking about us. Let's get in the mix.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think one of the reasons we've done well so far is because. There's not an organization in the country right now that doesn't need to get better at political communications because that is what they're expected to do. The media is treating corporate leaders and corporations as political leaders and political organizations. They're getting the exact same coverage that Terry and I are used to on the political side of things. And so... That's why you need to have communicators or at least consultants that that understand how modern political communications work.
1: So we're only ramping up now, although we have a a, a packed slate of candidates already, but for the the presidential election, the 2020 presidential election, how can communicators and how can companies both race for that period of time when there's just going to be an onslaught of more political information and to get their message out, and how can they leverage the season to to make their cases?
2: Yeah, look, I mean, something that we're working with several of our clients on is, 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 don't brace for it, embrace for it. That means that, you know what? Here's what's gonna matter. We know the demographic that these candidates are talking to. We know the five states that matter more than any place else on the world, and the small group of people that matter more than anyone else in the world to the Democrats and the Republicans when you look at states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Ohio and Michigan and, and Florida and say, okay, wait a minute. Let's go find those target demographic and let's go persuade them because the candidates are gonna chase them. So instead of trying to deliver your message to the entire free world, let's let's use smart targeting, let's use data and let's run a campaign to to functionally persuade, you know, fifty thousand people. In America, that are going to dictate what Donald Trump, Beto O'Rourke, Elizabeth Warren, you name it, are going to want to talk
0: about. And and the trends that we've seen over the last few years, where with with everything becoming political, as politics just permeating every aspect of American life and and corporate America that is going to just become even more extreme. I mean, that, that trend is not going to reverse itself. It's going to accelerate the closer we get to the 2020 election.
1: So are you like revving up for the election the way you would be in your previous oh, <laughs> incarnation? Yeah. No, i getting
0: comfortable it? getting popcorn. This is going to be <laughs> fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, that said, like on a business front, we, we just hired uh, five new people. There's 15 of us now. Uh, we've doubled every year since we've started, which you know, we started. At, <laughs> when you double. start at zero, it's yeah. very easy to double. Uh, but but uh, you know, we're we're excited about what 2020 means for our firm, uh, not because we're going to be doing any candid work, but because we think that our our clients and potential clients are going to be in more of need of not just political communications advice, but targeted persuasion campaigns, uh, which we've really honed over the last three years.
1: Excellent. Well, I appreciate you discussing it with us, and I'll be uh, anxious to to keep track of what you're doing and. Keep the conversation
0: going. Yeah, thanks
1: for having us. Thanks for having us. All right, thank
0: you. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.